0: morning. My name is Wes McKay and I'm the senior pastor here at Cross Point Baptist Church and again I want to thank you for joining us here as we worship and serve our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, just a couple things before we begin. I, I just want to take every opportunity I can to really brag and just express my thankfulness to the Lord for the staff that we have here at Cross Point Baptist Church. You know, uh, you know I'm, I'm wearing this t-shirt just in support of our youth ministry here. I'm so thankful for the way that Adam and Whitney Pace lead our, our youth ministry here. Uh, Adam is very, very uh, uh, concerned, and he loves the students and wants to share and get the gospel into them. And I'm so thankful for that. That's not something that I have to shape or make Adam do. He willingly and lovingly and wants to do it. And so I am th- so thankful for the Paces and how they lead our students here. Uh, and then, uh, you know, Caitlin does not get enough cred for what she does. I am so thankful for the way that Caitlin leaves this MDO ministry here at Cross Point. I am so thankful for the vision that she has and, uh, and, the, and the creative elements that she brings to it to see kids learn the good news about Jesus and the staff that she brings alongside her to help her do that in this ministry. I just want to say thank you, Caitlin, for what you do. And it is greatly appreciated here on behalf of our church body. And our church body thanks you teachers for what you do. Your labor is not in vain. And I'm just so thankful for Shane as well, you know, the reason that you have, that we're reading our lyrics off our pages is because Shane cares about our, uh, our instrumentalists and those who serve on Sunday mornings, and so they need a break, because we don't, uh, you know, I've, I've asked the management team for years to double their pay, and it, they just won't do it. And so, um, so, Shane is very cognizant about not burning out our volunteers, and I'm so thankful for that. And so, he gave them the week off. So you better come back and earn your pay next week, volunteers. And, uh, but we also want you to take those lyrics home and review those and look over those, because there are deep gospel truths in those lyrics. And uh, if you're like, I don't like to read, you know, read lyrics off a page. Well, some of you young people need to learn what a hymnal is. And uh, can I get an amen in here? Amen. Right, you, need, you know, uh, hymnals are good things. And so sometimes we need to read words off a page, right, and not off a screen. My hymnal rant is over. Now, turn to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. And once you arrive there in Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Exodus chapter 7, starting in verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall, sp- shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says, But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word. I pray that you would be gracious to us, bless us, and make your face shine upon us as we read it and study it. And that, God, we would not be like Pharaoh, resistant, rebellious, and not listening to what you have to say. That, God, soften our hearts, cultivate in us obedience, God, and that, Lord, And whatever we have walked in here with, God, burdens, struggles, sadness, emotions, whatever. Let our hearts be uplifted by your word, God. For you are a God who speaks. It would be very scary if you were silent, but you are a God who speaks and makes yourself known to your people. And here we have your word. You making yourself known. God, let us listen. Let us be attentive. Let us focus. And let us worship Christ. In his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. You may have had that good friend or maybe somebody in your job who has given you these words, you let me worry about that, right? You stay in your lane, right? You ever had that friend that says that? Just stay in your lane, right? You do your job and let me do mine, right? Just, hey, look, you got a job, I got a job, you do your job, let me do my job. You've been called to do something, let me, let me do what I'm supposed to be doing, right? Stay in your lane. Well, this is ultimately what God is saying to Moses in Exodus chapter 7, is that if you remember from last week, and what we've seen over the course of these first couple of chapters, is God has called Moses to do something, and Moses continues to give what? Anybody know? Excuses, 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 Right? And the way that it ended last week is it ends on an excuse where Moses says that Pharaoh will not listen to me. He will not listen to me. And what God's answer is going to be is in Exodus chapter 7, verses 1 through 13 it says, you don't worry about that. It's not your job. You let me do the work. You let me take care of that. You stay in your lane, right? That's what God will say to Moses. You let me handle Pharaoh's listening and his hard heart because I'm going to make myself known here. And this is is the point of our chapter today of these first 13 verses. And what's going to be the point throughout the plague chapters here is that God is about making himself known to his people and to his creation. God does all things to make himself known. God wants to reveal himself, and he's going to specifically reveal himself in the events that are about to take place so that Pharaoh and Egypt will know that he is. Does anybody remember that phrase that we said multiple times last week? He is what? Lord. Is that Pharaoh and Egypt now are going to learn that Yahweh, he is Lord. Look at this, number one. Point number one is this the first seven verses. Is that God reassures Moses with his plans? Is that God is going to outline what's about to take place? I don't know if you, any of you played sports or uh, football, baseball, whatever, but uh, sometimes in, in football, is a team in the locker room by, right before the game, is the coach will lay out the, particularly the offensive game plan. We're gonna run this play first, and we're gonna run this play, and then this play, and this play, and this play. This is what's gonna happen. He's gonna just go ahead and outline, look, you just be ready, because this is how it's going to take place. This play, this play, this play, this play, right? So that they're, they know what's about to happen. And that's what God's doing right now in these first seven verses, is that God is reassuring Moses by saying, this is about to happen, this is about to happen, this is about to happen, this is about to happen. God is reassuring Moses with his plans so that he knows that God is about to make himself known to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians. And so this is the first thing. Look at verse 1 with me real quick. Is the first way that God reassures Moses of his plans is he says this, I'm going to make you like God to Pharaoh, and Aaron shall be your prophet. Which might sound really weird, right? Hold on. Moses is going to become God? What? That, that don't make any sense. He's going to become like God? right? Well, we've already heard a similar statement like this in Exodus chapter 4, verse 16 but it's particularly said that Moses is going to be like God to Aaron. But here Moses is going to be like God to Pharaoh. And what this is doing is reassuring Moses is that he's not operating like a rogue, right? He's not operating independently. He's not self-sufficient here. Is that he will be acting as God's representative to Pharaoh is that Moses will have the backing, the authority, the power, and the support of Yahweh at his disposal when he goes and talks to Pharaoh. That's what he'll do. He will be going on behalf of God, and and we know what this is like. You know, we send dignitaries out to other countries, and when we send dignitaries out, they go with the full force, support, um, and, and they're acting on behalf of our country in other countries, right? Dignitaries, they have all these things. They're, ba- they're backing of the country that's sending them the authority, power, and resources and support. And so, this is what God's trying to do. He's trying to encourage him and say, Moses, you're not going out there as a rogue on your own, in your own power, but you're going out to speak to Pharaoh as one who has the authority and support of Yahweh at your fingertips but here's what god's going to do is that god's going to send moses out moses and aaron out like god to pharaoh and like a prophet and aaron's going to tell everything to pharaoh that god instructs but god says here's the here's a, here's the second play in that in the game plan i will harden pharaoh's heart when you go and speak to him now this shouldn't discourage shouldn't discourage or distract moses you might think i mean i, I think we would all think hey, God tells us, go and tell this, but guess what? He's not going to respond. He's going to, you know, his heart's going to be hard, and he's going to refuse these things. You'd be like, what's the point? What's the point, right? But this shouldn't discourage or distract Moses from the task at hand, because Moses' job is not to soften the heart of Pharaoh. That's not his job. That's not what he's been assigned to do. That's Yahweh's job, and he's the only one who has the power to actually soften and make hearts receptive to the gospel, to the good news, to the message that Moses has been sent with. That's not Moses' job. Moses' job is to be faithful with the message and to be obedient to God's instructions. And maybe you are in here this morning, and that's some pretty good application for you. Is that you can't force someone into the kingdom. You can't twist somebody's arm into repentance and faith. Right And guess what? That's not your job. That's not your job. Is that our job is to be faithful and obedient and to trust the Lord that He is the only one who has the power to soften hearts to the gospel and to the good news. It's not your job. you can't. you don't have the power to change hearts, right? That even it, just by way of side note this can even affect ministries in some sense. I've, I've heard and been a part of things like, you need to go out and share the gospel and you need to come back with at least three or four people who have repented and, and trusted in Jesus. Here's what I want to say. You don't have any power to even do that. You can't determine that. Our job is this, to stay in our lane and to be faithful and obedient with what God's called us. Our job is to trust the one who has the power to change hearts. And that's, What God is reassuring Moses now. Your job isn't to change Pharaoh's heart. It's to be obedient. And that Pharaoh is going to resist even though he's being warned. He's going to harden his own heart, right? Even though God is going to put all these signs and all these wonders before him, he will still resist. Even though it's all before his eyes, the evidence is right in front of his face. He will harden his heart and dig his heels in. And you know what's interesting here, if you look here, is that he doesn't call these plagues, right? Verse 3, look at this. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply, what? Signs and what? Wonders. He doesn't call them plagues, which is what we kind of understand it to be in the, in the next couple of, verse, or couple of chapters. And they will be called plagues at one point, but he calls them signs and wonders, and he later goes down and calls them great acts of judgment. Why didn't he just call them Plagues. I think it's this, it's kind of like a diamond, is that we're seeing, we're seeing a particular facet or feature of these plagues when they're described as signs and wonders and great acts of judgment. Let's just consider this one. The plagues are great signs and wonders. Is that ultimately what they are is they're de- demonstrations of God's power, right? Is that the Creator has the power over His creation to do with it what He wills, Right? And this God, this Yahweh, he has the ability to stabilize and destabilize creation at his will. Right? Is that water isn't supposed to be turned into blood, right? Water isn't supposed to be blood. I think we're all on that same page, right? Water is not supposed to be blood, right? The lights aren't just supposed to go out, right, in the world. Boils aren't just supposed to appear on our skin, the livestock doesn't just die unexpectedly, unexpectedly in mass. It's not just what's supposed to happen. But God shows his power in that he stabilizes and destabilizes things at his own will. It's kind of like when you play that game Jenga. Anybody ever play Jenga? And you're that person who takes that, that, the, the essential piece, and you know it too. You take that essential piece out of the Jenga tower just to watch it fall. Oh, you're despicable despicable people, you take it out just to see it fall and totter. Now, think of this. If you had that ability to take out that piece of that Jenga block and watch it tower and fall and be destabilized and then put it back in and stabilize it. This is what God's doing right here with his creation, is that he has the power to do signs and wonders and to show I'm the one who establishes creation and at any point I want, I can destabilize it at will. This is what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, talking about Jesus Christ. He says this He, that being Christ, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Right now, at this very second, Christ is sustaining and upholding the universe. If right now, at any moment, Christ wanted to remove himself and destabilize his creation, he could do it. But right now, he is the glue to the universe and holding it together. So this is what these plagues do. They are signs and wonders because they are God's demonstration of his power, that he has the power to control his creation and stabilize it and destabilize His will. And guess who does not have that power? Pharaoh. The second thing is this, is that these plagues and signs... They are also great acts of judgment. This is God's way of showing Pharaoh and Egypt, we're not on the same team. We're not on the same team. We're not good with one another. You're not in good standing with me. The plagues are demonstrations that God is the judge and he judges the unjust. That's what he does. They are displays of God's power, but also God's God's displeasure with Egypt, and how they are treating his people. God is one who is powerful, and he is also one who is just. But what are the purposes of these signs and wonders and great acts of judgment? Is it simply for God just to show off and flaunt himself, right? Is it simply to show his superiority over Pharaoh and over Egypt? Is it to to retaliate, right? Or to be vindictive to Egypt and to Pharaoh? I don't think so, because that makes it sound like a, like a kid with a water hose just pouring water on an ant pile just because you can. And that's not God. No, these signs and these wonders and these plagues and these great acts of judgment are for a very purpose. Look at verse 5. He does all these things so that the Egyptians shall know that what? That what? He is Lord. This is why God does these things. To make himself known that I am Lord. That's why God does these things. And we are well familiar with that phrase, right, from last week. That God is trying to show to Moses over and over again, I am Lord, I am Lord. And now, in the plagues, and the great signs and wonders, in the acts of great judgment, God is saying to the Egyptians, I am Lord. Egypt and Pharaoh will know that Yahweh is Lord. God's desire is not merely to destroy Egypt or Pharaoh, but to bring about a knowledge of himself. And we'll see this phrase over and over again. Verse 17 of chapter 7, verse Ten of chapter eight and verse in chapter fourteen. All of this God is doing to make himself known in the world. As as Adam read at the beginning of the service from Habakkuk two fourteen, is that his desire is that a knowledge of himself would be spread across the entire universe as the waters cover the sea. That is God's desire is making himself known. And this morning. I hope that you behold the greatness of the glory of God in the scriptures. And that you wouldn't be like, you wouldn't be like Pharaoh and resist right now in rebellion, stiff arm, stiff neck. But that God through his word is making himself known to you right now in what we are reading. Do not be like Pharaoh and not listen. Well, so this is the game plan that God sets out for Moses to reassure him, to give him what's give him a heads up. And, you know, we've gotten a a kind of routine from Moses and Aaron so far, is that when God gives instructions or when God speaks, what usually comes after this? What does Moses usually give us? A an excuse. He usually makes up something, right? He's like, oh, I can't do this. I'm not eloquent in speech. And then he like gets, you know, Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. Israel's not going to listen to me. Finally, at the end, he's like, I just don't want to do this. Just don't want to do it. And so you'd expect that that's going to be the pattern here. God's going to reveal all this. He's going to say all these things. And then Moses and Aaron are just going to be like, nah, we don't, we don't want to do this. But look at what happens. It's the exact opposite. We finally get some obedience out of these guys, right? Look at verse 6. Moses and Aaron did so they did just as the Lord commanded them finally finally right right they finally and look verse 7 is very interesting now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh you know what sometimes it takes a long time for us to be obedient right Sometimes it takes us getting to that ripe young age of 80 and 83 for us to finally get into our heads. Am I right, 80 and 83-year-olds in here? That sometimes it takes us a long time to be obedient. And you know, what this says to me is this. We get this phrase that Moses and Aaron, they do all that the Lord said, thus they did. And then we're given their ages. It's a reminder how just gracious God is with us over time. And he puts up with our stupidity, and he puts up with our reluctance, and he puts up with our resistance, and he puts up with our rebellion when he does not have to. He could have killed us at 30, but he kept us till 83. Praise God. And so I'm just, I just think that we're getting here this. Man, God is completely good and gracious to us when we are so resistant to him at times. And that sometimes obedience comes a long way down the road. And so we get obedience out of Moses and Aaron. But how? how what are we going to get out of Pharaoh? How is he going to respond to Yahweh's words and his displays of power? This is point number two on your outline. Pharaoh attempts to compete with Yahweh. He attempts to compete with him, which is not the response that you, have, you would hope for. I don't know if you grew up like this, but... Uh, maybe you were that person who thought really highly of your dad and you always spoke well your dad your dad's the best dad in the world your dad my dad's better than your dad a lot you know that my dad can spit farther than your dad anybody have that right my dad can beat up your dad when grant and jude say that. i'm like no, no 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 we ain't putting dad in no fight right look look like yeah that that dude works out eight days a week uh and clearly i'll work out right um Y'all already know that, but um, we ain't putting dad in no fight, right? So let's, let's not get this whole com- competition thing. My dad's better than your dad, blah, 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 blah. But you know, we're so proud, proud of our dad. We put, we put all the weight behind him. Like, he's awesome. He's great. He can beat up any, any dad in the world. He can spitball in any dad in the world, all things, right? Puffs out his chest kind of thing. And so this is kind of the picture that we get of Pharaoh in chapter 7, verses 8 through 13 is that he's now the one, he's been presented with these signs and these wonders. And what he does is he, he does not submit, he does not, he does not quiver in fear, but he puffs up his chest. He puffs up his chest. And he says, bring it on. I'll compete with you. That's how Pharaoh responds to Yahweh here. Look at this. Yahweh already knows what's going to happen. Look at this. He already knows that when they go, he's going to say, this is verse 9, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves. Yahweh already knows that Pharaoh's not going to be persuaded by the message that Moses and Aaron bring to him, that he's going to want evidence. He's going to want backing. He's going to want proof. He's going to say, prove it, right? And you know who Pharaoh sounds like here? It sounds like a lot of Jesus's opponents in the Gospels. When Jesus presents himself to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and those, they say ultimately the same thing that Pharaoh says. Prove it. Prove it. Put your money where your what? Mouth is. They'll say things like this in John 2.18. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? John 4.18. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. John 6.30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? So the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes of Jesus say, they're putting themselves in the same position that Pharaoh is. I hear what you're saying, but I don't believe it. Show me something. Show me something. Your words are not good enough. And maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today. And you're saying the same thing about Jesus I hear all these things. I hear what you're saying, Pastor. I hear you're talking really great about God and about Christ. But he hasn't proven himself. Prove it to me. If I could just see a sign, if I could just see a wonder, I'd believe him. But I have nothing to go off of. If I just had a sign, I'd believe it. Well, I think you realize from here, from Exodus chapter 7, that's not always the case, is it? That you get a sign and you'll instantly believe. But maybe you're here this morning and you're just saying, give me something, give me something. Well, let me just say this. You have the greatest sign and wonder that God has has ever given, given. Sitting on your lap right now. And that is God's word. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man... Rich man dies and he goes to Hades and he suffers torment. And Lazarus goes up to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man is in Hades and he is just crying out. And he is saying, Look, would Abraham, Lord, would you just go tell my brothers of what I'm experiencing here so that they can be warned not to do what I did and then they can change their ways? And you know what the Lord says to him? He says this He says, This is the rich man. I beg you, Father, to send him, Abraham, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they do also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, shows them a sign, a miracle, they will repent. And the Lord said this, he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. The greatest sign and wonder, if you're here right here this morning, you're saying prove it, prove it, prove it. The greatest sign and wonder you have of God's glory is sitting on your lap right now in God's Word. And there is no sign, there is no miracle, there is no physical resurrection that you can see that will convince you otherwise. As God told this rich man, you have Moses and the prophets. If you won't believe them, then nothing will convince you. And this morning, I would just ask you, if you are a believer in here or if you're watching online, read the Bible. Read the Bible. And if that's not enough for you, there is nothing that will be enough for you. And so so Moses and Aaron then responds to Pharaoh. Pharaoh saying, prove it, prove it, prove it. Give me something. But God equips Moses and Aaron with supernatural powers to display God's ultimate power of creation. And that he gives them ability to take the staff that has been given to them and throw it on the ground and it turned into a serpent. Now let me just ask you this: a certain obvious question. Do you think it's just random that the staff turns into a serpent? Oh, it's just random, right? The Bible's so coincidental; like it just, it just, it just happened to turn into a serpent. I don't think it's just random that it didn't turn into a koala bear or a, uh, or, 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 or you know, uh, I don't know, a puppy dog it turned into a serpent right? And the reason is because the word for serpent here is actually used to describe Pharaoh and Egypt in the prophets. In Ezekiel chapter 29, verse 3, it says, speak and say, this is to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he calls him the great dragon, which is the same word for serpent here in Exodus chapter 7 because from Genesis 3 to Revelation chapter 20 verse 2 the serpent the snake the dragon is associated with and used to describe somebody who is in rebellion against God and against God's people that's the symbol if you have the symbol of the serpent of the snake you are representative of everything that God is opposed to because you are opposed to God and this is who Pharaoh is is that he is the serpent He is the snake. He is opposed to God and his people. And so now Moses and Aaron have been given this sign. Are they going to go all the way though? Hey, look, God, we were fine with saying stuff to to Pharaoh, but now you're giving us these kind of crazy signs to do with our staff and it turned into a serpent. Well, that's we're going too far. This is getting weird, God, at this point. Are Moses and Aaron gonna go all the way? Well, look what it says again. They did and obeyed. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Man, it sounds like they've turned over a new leaf. They're, com- they're doing exactly what God's commanded them to do. Because as we are learning here from Moses and Aaron, God does not accept partial or halfway obedience. And let me just warn you, this cross point and visitors is this. You think that God is pleased with halfway or partial obedience. Halfway or partial obedience is no obedience at all. Well, God, I'll go this far with you, but I can't go the whole kit and caboodle. I can't do everything. I can't do everything that you've commanded me. God does not and is not pleased with partial or halfway obedience. And to convince yourself otherwise is to do great spiritual damage and harm to yourself. And so they show their supernatural signs before Pharaoh. They do all that the Lord has commanded them. And you would think that Pharaoh would just be, whoa, that's crazy what I just saw. I, 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 should, I should give in to this Yahweh guy. But no, he gives what just happened, no consideration. The text gives us, gives us no hint that Pharaoh is like stunned by what happens. The immediate response of Pharaoh is this, hey, uh, hey entourage, come on in. Let's see if you can replicate that let see if you can do that same thing. He has no consideration for what just happened. Rather, he turns it into a competition. And what the text tells us is this, is that he calls in his magicians and his sorcerers, those who do secret acts, and they're able to replicate the sign. And can you just imagine for a second how Pharaoh must have felt in that moment? <laughs> oh, uh, your carnival trick didn't work, did it? Right. You can just, you can get the feeling of him puff chest out, like, what else you got? You got anything else? That's, that's cute what you did. I know, I know you probably do that at birthday parties and stuff like that, but my guys can do that too. Right? But that pride won't last for very long, will it? Because at that very moment, Aaron's staff goes and swallows. Pharaoh's staff, Aaron's staff snake turns and devours, showing the superiority of God and his power. But not only that, not only showing God's superiority, but in that act of Aaron's staff snake swallowing Pharaoh's staff snake is that it was foreshadowing Pharaoh's ultimate defeat. And this is what's interesting about the book of Exodus. The next time that this word occurs in the book of Exodus is Exodus chapter 15, verse 12. The word for swallow. The next time it's used is Exodus chapter 15, verse 12. And that's talking about what God did to Egypt and Pharaoh in the waters. It says this God stretched out, you stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them is that what's happening to, the, to Pharaoh's staff snake and it being swallowed is just a teaser about what's going to happen to Pharaoh and to Egypt in the future. It's kind of like, anybody watching preseason football right now? Anybody? It's good. Uh, there's not much to watch from the Saints. Uh, it's not looking good. Hopefully it's not a foreshadowing of what's going to happen in the, the regular season. But isn't that what preseason games do? They give you a foreshadowing of what the team's going to look like, right? Give you a little taste of what to expect in the regular season. And this is what this sign and wonder of the snakes and the staffs is doing. It's giving a sign and a warning to Pharaoh that if you continue down this route, Pharaoh, if you continue going down this trajectory, guess what? This is going to be you. It will cost you your life. This is a foreshadowing of what is going to happen. And so... Pharaoh has seen these signs and these wonders. He's seen this act of judgment. He's even seen his staff snake be swallowed up by Moses and Aaron's staff snake. But he still has no consideration. It actually says this in verse 13. His response is this, after his staff is swallowed up, Pharaoh hardens his heart and would not listen to them. Just as the Lord said, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Resist. Gets mad and angry. It's kind of like that kid who picks up his ball and goes home. Maybe you've been in that situation where your opponent has not just beaten you, but embarrassed you. They've bested you. They've they've shoved your face in it. They've made you look bad in front of your family. Like, this is PTSD from all my high school football games. Uh, they've made you look bad in front of your mom and dad, and they, you just walk off humiliated. And it's kind of, I think I've used this illustration before, forgive me. It's kind of like those football teams that, like, they're getting smacked around on the football field, and there's, there's, no t- there's two minutes left, and they're, you know, the other team's up by 70 points. So the team that's losing, they just start a fight, right? Hey, we're not going to win the game, but you know what? We're going to throw some punches at the end. Because I'm just mad, right? Rather than being convinced that the other team is just better, you kind of dig your heels in in deeper hatred for your opponent. And this is what, this is what Pharaoh's doing right now. He's seen this sign, this wonder. He's, he's been bested right now. He's been upstaged by Yahweh. And his response is not, you know what, I need to give this guy some consideration. I need to give this guy some, I, I, I need to listen to him Maybe. His response is, I am further cemented in my unbelief and my hard hardness and my resistance to the Lord. I hate him even more from this. He sees the signs and the wonders, and rather than submitting, he goes deeper into unbelief. And maybe you're here this morning, unbeliever, and you're in that place right now. There's nothing that could really convince you you're further cemented in your unbelief, you close your eyes tighter, you put your fingers in your ears deeper, and you make louder noises so that you don't have to hear and that you don't have to respond and you don't have to listen and you want to continue to resist and be cemented further in your unbelief. Let me say this, if you're not going to listen to any of what God says and any of his instructions, at least take Pharaoh's Pharaoh's life as a warning to you. At least take Pharaoh's life as a warning to you. That Pharaoh is this picture of resistance to God and his will and his word. Is rebellious against God. And look at his fate. If you're not going to listen and obey God's instructions, at least be warned. This trajectory that you're on is very dangerous. And will cost you your life. Take Pharaoh as a warning to you. And this morning, I would just ask and plead with you after seeing God's glory in the text of Scripture and what He's capable of doing, repent, turn away, stop resisting. Turn to Christ who has come and He has saved us. He has died on the cross to carry and bear our sins on our behalf, to take our punishment that we deserve for our resistance and for our rebellion. And He can transfer you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son, Jesus Christ where you will find out that it is much better to be in submission to Christ than in resistance to him. This morning, let me just warn you. Take Pharaoh's life as a warning. And believer, maybe you're in a version of this. Maybe you're not cemented in unbelief, but maybe you're at a point where God's sending you warnings, kind of like signs and wonders and acts of judgment. He's sending you warnings that right now that that you may be disregarding, maybe you're right now, he's disciplining you, he's warning you, he's cautioning you about sinful patterns in your life, but you've deemed it as no big deal, that maybe you've been warned through God's word, maybe you've even had a good friend, a Christian friend who's warned you, that is a very dangerous thing to do, and a very dangerous pattern to have in your life. That is sinful, and you need to stop. God is sending these warnings to you, whether it be a friend, whether it be God's Word, whether it be conviction from the Spirit. And let me just say this, believer, in here. Do not further cement yourself in resistance to conviction. Let it be a warning to you as well to change your course of action. If God is disrupting your every turn to do something, take that as a sign of God's grace to you, that He's trying to keep you from going into further and more sin. And lastly, I think we can really just bask that God is a very patient God with us. Is He not? Moses and Aaron continue to be reluctant, continue to make excuses, continue to be resistant. And God at any point could have said, I'm done with them. I'll, I'll get somebody else. But even to the point of 80 and 83 years old, God has poured on his grace and patience. And maybe, maybe you're here this morning, believer, and that is you. That is you. That was Paul's testimony. God was completely and perfectly patient with me, even when I was rebellious. And maybe that's you this morning. You've been resistant to God's word. You've been resistant to obeying particular things. And God has just continued to show you grace and mercy and forgiveness and patience. Praise God for him, to him for that, because he does not have to be that way to us. And this morning, God's patience should lead you, as Romans 2 says, to repentance. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're an unbeliever, and you say, yeah, God's been patient with me. I'm I'm, I'm terrible. I'm a piece of trash, and I've done a lot of stupid things in my life this morning. God's patience with you shouldn't lead you to just say, yeah, he's been patient with me. Awesome. It should lead you to say, I want to turn from that because God's been so patient with me. And I want to trust in Christ Jesus, who is the perfectly patient Savior with sinners like us. And that he has shown his perfect patience, not in just his obedient life, but in his death for us. And him being raised to life to give us grace upon grace upon grace this morning. The patience that God has shown you should not lead you to further sin or further patterns of sin or disobedience or unrepentance. It should lead you to repentance and to trust in Jesus. And this morning, I would just implore you, if you want to know who this Christ is, this patient Savior, come. Speak with myself. Speak with Dr. David. Speak with Jim. We would love to tell you about how God has been so gracious to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your patience with us, God. Your patience with me. I am a sinner, and I've I've been shown so much patience over the course of my 32 years here on this earth. And I'm undeserving of it, God. I pray this morning that we would not resist and harden our hearts towards your word, but your word would be used by your Spirit, God, to soften us, to be obedient, and to submit to what you have. We love you. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name I pray.